1: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Hi, I'm Blair Bathory, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those just voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. We're in the middle of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. While many people are celebrating the beautiful culture, we're sinking our teeth into the community's spooky folklore. With thousands of years of tradition, superstition, and myths, there are so many horror stories that have been passed down over the years. The most frightening part about these tales is that sometimes people don't believe them, and by the time they do, it's already too late. First, deadly delusions. Followed by terror on the island. Then, dying to survive. Finally, in our featured story, See No Evil. We receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. And of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com slash snarled. So, want to hear something scary? Fear Fear and legends from Asian Asian and Pacific Islander Islander heritage. If you're the personality type that's always chasing a thrill, you must be careful what you wish for because you never know which exploit will be your last. Like in this story inspired by Felix. As an avid hiker, Philip was used to rough terrain, steep climbing conditions, and weather that would make any non-survivalist shudder. Despite a dozen intense hikes, including Half Dome and Denali under his belt, there was one more mountain to climb before he took on Everest. chow ai the sixth largest mountain in the world, was situated on the Nepal and China border. Although the easiest of the 14 peaks to climb, it put your body through the ringer atmosphere-wise, which was the exact challenge Philip was looking for. Two days into the hike, Philip and his fellow climbers, four other men, noticed that the weather was deteriorating rapidly. The temperature had dropped 20 degrees lower than expected with wind gusts so strong they were forced to stop five times as often. This wasn't what they signed up for and the other guys suggested returning to camp and trying again in a few weeks. Everyone but Philip wanted to retreat. But since there was only one month before Everest, This was his last opportunity at a practice. Still, he was outvoted and they planned their descent the next morning. That night, the rest of the climbers slept soundly and Philip saw his chance to head out on his own in the middle of the night. As he trudged up the mountain with only his headlamp to guide him, he began to wonder if he had made a mistake. The icy wind beat his face as he instructed himself to keep moving, one foot in front of the other. About three hours into the night climb, he decided to stop and check the coordinates. While sitting in his tent seeking a reprieve from the weather, he heard a voice outside. It was close by and female. It made no sense. No other group had been on the mountain, let alone a lone woman. He opened the tent just slightly, looking in the direction of the voice. About 100 yards away, up the hill and to the right, He saw her. Wearing only a thin, white dress, the woman didn't appear to be cold. Any human in those elements, not suitably dressed, should have been dead within minutes. He adjusted his eyes. She beckoned, calling his name. Philip. It must be the altitude, he thought. He pulled out his oxygen mask and began to take in deep breaths of O2, quickly feeling much better. Clearly, he must have just needed to refuel his lungs. Philip. Now the woman was right outside his tent. He recoiled, not knowing what to do. He could see her silhouette, feminine and lean, as she stood just a few feet away from him on the other side of the partition. He opened the tent again and cried out in shock. For what stood before him was no longer human, but a giant fox. It stood on its four legs and behind it, swishing nine tails. Before Philip could scream again, the nine-tailed fox whipped its tails. The tent flew off, exposing Philip to the elements. The fox stood before him, staring with red eyes, licking his chops. Philip cowered, knowing what was next. He had heard the stories. Similar to a siren, the nine-tailed fox was a spirit that disguised itself as a beautiful maiden to lure victims before devouring them. The fox had incredible strength and pushed Philip's chest down into the ground slowly, getting him to lay on his back. Once pinned down, the fox opened one paw, showing eight-inch claws, and began to thrash at Philip's torso as if cutting fillets to feast on later. Each slice, a perfect incision. Philip moaned until the blood had drained from his body. Within seconds, there was nothing left but scraps. The fox ate what it could, then carried some of the leftovers back into the darkness. The next morning, the remaining hikers searched for Philip. They stopped in shock upon discovering blood and bits of human remains, his belongings strewn about the mountain. As they looked about, trying to gauge what could have happened, they saw nine lines as if a rake had been dragged up the mountain. That's when they realized the nine-tailed fox had killed Philip which should have taken 14 hours for the men to descend down the mountain. Now only took eight, motivated not by climate, but by fear. Are you brave enough to climb mountains like Everest? What type of paranormal activity might you encounter high in the mountains? Have you had any experiences with them? Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit angie.com that's a n g i dot com
2: Angie's list is now Angie and we've heard a lot
1: of theories about why I thought it was an eco
0: move
1: Sometimes, visiting family and a change of scenery can be just what the doctor ordered. It is also good to be aware of things that are better left alone, such as the story inspired by Stella. High school was more of a challenge than I was expecting. So for the months leading up to summer break, all I could think about was getting out of town. I was old enough to travel to see my grandparents by myself and was excited to head back to Kauai. I loved visiting this part of Hawaii. My grandparents lived in the middle of nowhere in a house that had been in the family for generations. While their property was somewhat cluttered and the outside overrun with foliage, it was my oasis. Their property had so much history. I knew my imagination would be free to run wild and I could finally just kick back. When the taxi dropped me off at the entrance to their land, I began the five-minute walk up to their house. Something about that isolation soothed me. The two-story house was with a wraparound porch, covered in knick-knacks and old appliances. Could have been labeled a hoarder's paradise, but it was home for me. Dust had settled on the top of everything, but it didn't matter. My grandparents rushed outside to welcome me, grandfather grabbing my luggage, Nana holding my hand to show me her new papaya. I was happy. A few days into my trip, my Nana was working the late shift. She told my grandfather and I not to wait up. So after dinner and a couple of rounds of dominoes, Grandpa dozed off. I wasn't remotely tired, so I sat outside on the porch as the sun set, my eyes settling on a broom leaning in the corner. I found myself sweeping the porch, tidying up the chairs and cushions and clearing some of the trash into the dumpster. Two hours later, it looked like the house had just gotten a makeover. The proud smile faded when I heard rustling coming from the fields. It seemed too localized to be the wind blowing, but it was also too dark to make out. I chalked it up to an animal making its way home and headed in for the night. I tossed and turned before being jolted awake. Through the crack of my door, I heard footsteps, dozens of them and people talking loudly. It sounded like a packed train station was in my living room. I jumped from my bed and opened the door. As I did, a gust of wind blew, knocking me to the ground. Dozens of people walked into my room, completely ignoring me. I dodged their steps and then realized they walked right through me. Was I a ghost? Then I saw their dated clothing and realized they were the apparitions. They seemed confused loudly asking each question about where they were and how they got there. I covered my ears and began to scream. Suddenly, my Nana rushed in and hugged me, asking what was wrong. All was now quiet. Had I been dreaming? Telling her everything from the dominoes to sweeping, her eyes widened with concern. Apparently, sweeping after sunset is a huge no-no. It invites the dead to visit and for the lost souls to find a place of sanctuary. Literally, as she spoke, the water on my nightstand began to shake. I watched it slide off and shatter on the ground. Nana grabbed me and rushed outside, yelling for Grandpa to grab the salt. To reverse the curse, we searched for palm and eucalyptus. Grabbing three large leaves, we ran back to the house, grandfather waiting with supplies. Nana laid down the leaves, and Grandpa poured water and then sprinkled salt onto them. We each took a leaf and walked around the perimeter, Grandpa walking around the back shed, Nana walking up and down the road leading to the house whilst I circled the porch. Eventually, my leaf got so heavy I couldn't carry it anymore. My grandparents rushed over, Grandpa taking out a lighter and setting it on fire. Nana explained that the salt water was to catch the spirits around the house and once the leaf was too heavy, the only way to set the spirits free was to ignite it. All three leaves burned on the porch that night, returning my haven back to its homeostasis. And while most people appreciate a tidy home, sometimes it's best to let a little dust settle, thus keeping unwanted visitors at bay. Do you have a family member who lives in a creepy place? What type of terrors have you experienced on your visits, if you dare go at all? When you're desperately trying to survive And hunting around to find people or food You must stay on high alert Because something might be hunting for you Like in this story, written by Janine Pipe Kelsey looked over at the cabin Was it really there? Or was she so exhausted and sleep-deprived She was imagining it? It had been two whole days since her research team had crashed into the side of the mountain, and she was the only survivor. Since the radio had been destroyed, she knew her only chance of survival against the elements and starvation was to find the previous cabin research teams had used as a base. It wasn't much, but it would provide shelter, and most importantly, a radio. There might even be someone else there. Occasionally, scientists from other organizations used it. Now, as she trudged through the snowdrift towards safety, she could have wept with joy if she weren't so dehydrated. She was so relieved, she didn't even notice the ground around one side of the cabin had a pinkish hue, almost like the pure white snow had been tainted by something red. Hello, anyone there? Hello, I'm Dr. Lang. There was no reply so she pushed the door open. The first thing that hit her was the smell and then the silence. There was definitely no one here, she assumed, but maybe they'd forgotten to take their trash when they left. Covering her nose, she headed straight over to one of the steel lockers. Relieved beyond measure to discover there were still emergency supply packs stocked, she guzzled some water and ripped open a nutrition bar Then quickly headed to the control panel area to locate the radio or at least some form of transmitter. The sense of relief began to dissipate rapidly when she discovered neither on the makeshift desk area. No comms equipment at all, which was very odd. Just some flies, some testing equipment, and a pinboard with a dog-eared photo of a family. She peered at it, wondering if the mother or father was the visiting researcher and smiling at their children. All members had bright red hair, But where was the scientist now? Maybe there was another area at the rear of the cabin. This should have been the main hub and anything else used as rest quarters, but she hadn't been here before. Edging towards the door from the communal area, she could see three more doors in the dimly lit hallway, all shut. Hello? She called out again on the off chance. Again, nothing. So she opened the first door. The room smelled musty, as if it had been shut for a long time, and it was completely empty, save a cot and a sleeping bag. The second room was the total opposite. It looked as though it had been ransacked. Kelsey only had her flashlight, but she could see the cot turned over, the sleeping bag ripped and covered in something gross. There were flies and papers everywhere, and something which stank piled in the far corner. Again, she gagged and covered her mouth quickly closing the door. The previous occupant must have caught something they intended to eat quickly, and it had gone off. But where the hell was that person? The final room seemed as though it had been originally used for storage. Metal lockers lining one of the walls, and deep filing cabinets and bookcases another. It was in a state of disrepair, same as the second sleeping quarter with an added element of carnage. A huge hole had been knocked out of the black wall, exposing the room to the elements. Snow and ice had formed on the ground, but since she had yet to take off her gear, she was able to trundle through the damaged wall. And even though the room wasn't that large, someone or something had left her a trail of breadcrumbs just in case, except the trail wasn't bread. It was blood. Kelsey's heart was hammering in her chest as she followed the drops of red as they got bigger and darker, followed it outside to the rear of the cabin Win. she just had time to hear the roar and sense movement in her peripheral vision before she was knocked to the ground, grabbed by her ankles, and felt a jab of piercing pain through her skull as something smashed her against the wall of the cabin. It dazed her enough that she barely registered as it then threw her into a deep well of ice water, Water that was rapidly freezing all around her. In utter panic, she just realized she was not alone. There was another person with her. She managed to reach her arm over to them before it completely froze around her. She would have screamed when she recognized the red hair, but her heart had stopped. And she, along with the other scientists, became nothing more than ready meals in the Yeti's freezer. Have you ever been stranded anywhere? Do you think you'd be able to survive on your own? How far would you go to survive? The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie,
2: and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.
3: In South Korea, one of the most daunting things could be living up to potential in school. But what's inside the school could be the very thing that kills you. Education and good grades were paramount in South Korea, and teens often went back to school after supper to get ahead with their studies. With the rest of the school dark and quiet, the library was well-lit and filled with exhausted teens. Soon-Hai told her study partner, Ara, she was going to take a quick bathroom break. A few minutes after she left the room, Ara and the others heard a light tapping noise. It sounded as if it was coming from the hallway. It began to get louder and faster. Ara figured that Soon-Hai got locked out of the study room and was trying to get back inside. As she headed to the door, she realized that the tapping was actually coming from the window. She pulled the curtain back and revealed a tall, gaunt woman. She was ghostly pale with her eyes closed tight, long, stringy black hair and standing perfectly still. This was a creepy woman and she was no student. And Ara wondered what she was doing out in the cold. Suddenly, the woman flew forward and pressed her face against the window. Her eyes flipped open, but the sockets were empty, gaping holes where eyes should have been. Ara quickly backed away from the window but with one fast jab, the woman shattered the glass with her bony finger. And just like that, the lights went out. Sunhai was in the middle of washing her hands in the bathroom when suddenly she was plunged into complete darkness. She involuntarily gasped and then laughed for being scared. She pulled out her cell to light her way into the hallway. Her heart began to beat faster when she realized the lights were out in the corridor as well. As she carefully edged her way back to the library, the sounds of loud screams echoed into the halls. Then they stopped abruptly. Soon-Hai swung open the door and stared at the carnage that lay before her. The corpses of her friends were scattered throughout the library. Some strewn over the balcony, one laying through the shattered window. And her poor friend, Ara, was impaled through the leg of a turned over table. Sun Hai didn't have a second to think before she heard footsteps behind her. She threw herself to the ground and laid motionless, pretending to be dead among the other bodies. She held her breath as she heard movement all around her. She tried not to make a sound. A voice whispered, one, two, one, two. Curiosity got the better of her and Suhai peeked at whatever it was. She saw a terrifying ghostly image, a woman dressed in white, long, dark hair covering her face. Sunhai squeezed her eyes shut, desperately fighting the urge to scream. The woman crept closer and still whispering, one, two, one, two. Sunhai held her breath, hoping it would not notice her.
2: One, two, one, two.
3: But it was no use. It was coming closer. One, two. One, two. Abruptly, the counting stopped. Suspicious of the silence, she tried to listen for even the slightest noise. Sun waited several minutes, but it felt like hours. She must have tricked it. She lifted her head and opened her eyes. Ah! The ghostly creature hovered directly above her. One bony finger pointed directly at her horrid face. One, two, it hissed as it plucked out each of her eyes.
1: This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukaskowitz and Janine Pipe. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen. Music by Sapphire Sadalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarl. And if you'd like to support the show and everything that we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends. Sweet screams.